0: Hello and welcome to the Word Live podcast where we listen in to talks from our past events. Today we're going back to 2015 and our evening celebrations looking at the Lord's Prayer. I hope the Lord uses this to feed and grow your own prayer life. Let's listen together. Well thank you, it's, it is great to be with you and uh, it's a real joy to be part of what you're doing And this is the second in the night looking at the Lord's Prayer. So we'll be looking at your kingdom. Last night we heard Hugh Palmer and uh, I sat listening in a sense of wonder. It was great to hear the theology of the fatherhood of God unpacked and with such eloquence. And I'm just conscious that you've got me tonight, an Australian who's going to mangle every bit of your English language. So just bear with me. In fact, my intention is to try and help you a little. I want to actually give you a sense of where we're going tonight to try and make it as easy as possible because I am conscious you may struggle with me. The Lord's Prayer, here it is, this is what we're going to be doing tonight. The Lord's Prayer, I'm going to suggest to you, is much more than a lesson on prayer. In fact, I want to say to you tonight that the Lord's Prayer is a lesson on life, existence, the very purpose of us being, it is about what we are to be about, it is about what we exist for. That's the Lord's Prayer. Now, it doesn't seem that way when you start looking at it. In the context of Matthew and the other Gospels, of course, it comes in a situation where it's talking about lessons on prayer. And so Jesus is teaching us about prayer. We heard some of the details of that last night, uh, the various different aspects about what we need to learn about prayer. And so in its context, it's about lessons on prayer. But the larger context, the larger context of the life of Jesus, the larger context of the whole Bible makes it very clear that this prayer is not just about prayer. Although it is that, it is much, much more. This becomes obvious, in my view, at least, when you hit the second request in the Lord's Prayer. You know it's six requests. It comes to the second request, and the request is, Your kingdom come. That's what we're looking at together tonight, Your kingdom come. When you look at that request, the whole thing expands. And we begin to see that there's much more going on here. So let me take you a little bit through that. The language of Kingdom is not a new idea that just arrives here in the Bible. It is a massive theme that runs right through the Scriptures from the very beginning, right through to the end. It properly can be said to drive the Bible. It is the big theme that runs through. Kingdom isn't a very hard idea to get, especially for you. Uh, You still use the language of Kingdom. You do live in the United Kingdom. Now I don't, I watch a bit of rugby and I'm not so sure how united you really are when all the kind of nations get together but you do live in the united kingdom where you have a king queen, a ruler over those that are ruled in a realm. That's what a kingdom is, those three aspects that come together. Now it is for Australians a very difficult idea actually from the beginning to the end for us the idea of kingdom is a strange thing i mean we have a government that does run lots of stuff but our national sport as australians is to ignore everyone who's over us and and I, do i need to tell you that we are good at sport and is now an appropriate time to are you happy for me to talk about the cricket at this point yes i'm hearing the yes if i was rude i'd go down that path but where did you come in the cricket it uh, the second request of the Lord's Prayer. It is a reference to our Father's Kingdom. It's a simple request but it has some complexity to it. So, I know it's the end of a long day, I know you've had lots of things going on and there's lots of noise and wind and so on but I, I want to kind of urge you to work with me a little bit tonight on some complexities concerning the Kingdom. Now, there's two big ones. The first complexity Is probably the easiest one to grasp. Um, So let me take you through that. Um, The the Bible is the first complexity. Actually, I'll give it to you straight up. The first complexity is that God is king now and is yet to be. His kingdom is now and is yet to be. There there is the first complexity. It's not a hard one particularly but let me just unpack it a little for you. Uh, In the Bible, the Old Testament is very clear that God does rule. The psalmist is full of praise that he rules in the heavens above. Uh, The world is his, it's his dominion. You get Daniel chapter 4, that wonderful expression where um, God's dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He has his kingdom now. He rules. But, you come to Matthew chapter 6 and you look there at verse 10... And you find Jesus is praying for the kingdom to come, which suggests what? That the kingdom is not yet, or at least there's something missing from the kingdom that means it can be said not to have come in yet. What is missing? Well, I'll suggest it's this. It is the fact that we don't yet know the joy of God's rule in a way that is uncontested, What's missing is, we don't yet know the joy of God's rule in a way that is uncontested. God rules, He rules in heaven, He rules sovereignly, He rules over all things, nothing happens except by His design and will, He does rule sovereignly, but at present His rule is contested, it is belittled, it is despised, it is rejected, it's ignored which is exactly where the Bible begins. It's exactly where the Bible starts. When God creates, He creates everything good, very good. But a great fracture occurs. God's rule is rejected by spiritual forces, by the very humans that He has made who bear His image. And the universe, as a consequence, is torn apart. And the consequences of that are horrific. Humanity falls from its place of glory. They are cast out into a world that is fractured. Sin, Satan, death, now rule in a realm that was once whole and good and full of life. The rest of the Bible from that point on is the revealing to us of God's determination, not just to restore His rule, but to establish it in a way that it will be uncontested now forever. That is the whole storyline of the Bible. And it pursues this for His glory and our good. So when you step into the world of the Bible, this is the world you step into. A world that exists in conflict, with powers and forces and people daily rejecting our good ruler. Despising even the notion of rule. Insisting on self-rule. Failing to see the horror of that choice that brings itself a deeper captivity. A captivity not to external forces, but a captivity, well, a captivity to external forces, but a captivity particularly to our own passions, our own lusts, our own inner drive which is a far greater slavery than it can ever be. And we are then, of course, bound up into death and finally God's eternal judgments. Because whatever we do think as our world runs its path, God does rule and will set things right. And the great movement of the Bible is the story of God re-establishing His rule such that it will never be contested again. And so peace will reign and life will flourish. Jesus' life is dominated by this. I'll just give you some quick references. Uh, you, You chase them up later. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, at the end of this little section here, you get this reference to that day, the final day, the day when we will enter into his kingdom. It's Jesus looking forward to that day. Matthew chapter 16, In that passage about the foolishness of making that really stupid calculation that is my life here more important than there and Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? In that context of that passage, He speaks about His coming in His Father's glory with His angels for that great and glorious day at the end of time. In Matthew chapter 20, there's an argument about who will sit at Jesus' right hand and it's a fight over a time at the end of time when God will bring His rule in an uncontested way. Matthew 25, verse 31, the Son of Man will come in His glory and He will sit on His glorious throne. It's an expectation about that future great day. Matthew 26, Jesus won't drink of the fruit of the vine until He comes into His kingdom. That final day is the day when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven when all opposition is crushed, this is the great engine of the Bible. It's a movement towards that day. That day, finally, when His glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. From beginning to end, the Bible moves us towards that, gives us hope for that, drives us towards that. Now, I make much of this, at this particular time, Because we tend not to be future-orientated. Even in the Christian culture, we tend not to be future-orientated. And so for us, the language of, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, these requests for us, friends, they are not simply about, they are not simply about small and temporary wins in the workplace. They are not simply about some parts of the region within which we live finally being captured by the things of Christ. These requests of the Lord's Prayer are for that final end day, that great and glorious day of the Lord, when there will be no contest, when there will be no opposition, when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven when his name will be hallowed and his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There is a first complexity. God rules, he is in his kingdom now, he is sovereignly ruling from heaven, but his rule is contested and so his kingdom is yet to come. And the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for that day Second complexity. God has done something astonishing, complex, rich, unanticipated, amazing. He has established a time between the establishment of his kingdom in that great final day and its final establishment. This complexity is complex. He has done this profound thing. He is building towards that final day when he will rule uncontested and all his enemies will be put beneath his feet. And that day he is split into two. So that in between those two aspects of that day There is a brief time, a period of amnesty, a time where it's possible for a person to gain a pardon before he finally comes. Why? Because that same God who will establish his rule, who will crush all opposition, is full of mercy. He has provided a time, a brief time, within which it's possible to get ready for that day, so that you won't be one who is crushed by his final rule breaking in. And so he has given us a time that we can get right with the king against whom we have rebelled, and he has declared a moment, just a time whereby pardon is possible. And he has made that pardon possible through the death and resurrection of His very Son. This is monumental news. This is Gospel news. It is for that short time that you can change kingdoms. You can leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of the Son that God loves for a short time. You can be received back under the rule of God and received by a good and gracious and loving God who is uncompromising, but because of the death of His Son, has guaranteed your pardon, if you would but repent and believe the Gospel. You see, the complexity is this, that conversion, receiving that pardon isn't the kingdom coming? Just bear with me. Conversion, receiving that pardon, isn't the kingdom come in its fullest sense, in its purest sense. It is the impact of that kingdom breaking in ahead of time. It is the establishment of pockets of loyalty, In this evil age. It is the kingly rule of God expanding over rebels and so in a sense it is the kingdom expanding. The the seed that goes out and grows and begins hearts and lives that are won back to Christ, back to God under His rule. And so the prayer, your kingdom come, can be said to be answered in every life that is converted, every life that's transferred into the kingdom of God. It can be said to be answered in each of those where the will of God is done in some pockets of lives, in some places around the world. That can be said to be the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. And so when we cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done, we can be praying for the conversion, the winning of people, men and women, children. But in Jesus' context your kingdom come, is a plea for the end, that great victory of God where he will rule uncontested. Now this complexity is important to get, this complexity that the the, the kingdom has been established in Christ's death and resurrection, his ascension but he hasn't finally come in to destroy every opposition. That is now awaiting a future time. It's been split apart, this great final day, to provide a moment of amnesty. This complexity is important to get, to see the burden of this prayer. And can I offer you an illustration that I think captures it? So let me try and do this with you. I was once a civil engineer. And uh, I wouldn't. Don't ask me anything about engineering anymore. It's been 50 years since I've ever gone near it. So, but I was once an engineer, and we used to blow up things, and uh, that was always the task I enjoyed more than any other. But it, it, if, you, if you've ever seen it on TV, you'll probably remember something of this: that sometimes when they're demolishing a building, they instead of breaking it apart bit by bit, what they do is they put explosives around the bottom of the building, and uh, run back a long way, hide behind the car or whatever with the little dial or the button or the, the lever and they, they hide there with their hard hats on and they push down the button, they pull the lever, they turn the dial and, and in the distance you see this boom, blows out underneath the building. But here's the thing, that building just sits there for a moment. Have you ever seen it? There's this kind of pause... Where gravity hasn't quite, momentum quite hasn't, and it just sits there. And then it starts to crumble down. It's tempting actually to wonder whether the explosions have worked. But you wait, and it's demonstrated to be so. Well, here's the deal the death of Jesus and his resurrection ascension was the explosion to the foundations of this evil age. He was enthroned. He came into his kingdom. But instead of the kingdom coming into the fullness of the kingdom that God had anticipated and planned for and purposed and so on, God actually purposed something different. He purposed that the building, the kingdom, the world we live in might be held up for a moment. Having had the foundations ripped apart, that it might just pause there for a second. Held off before he brings his great Judgments to our world, held off so that people might escape, so that people might find pardon. And you and I, we live in the pause before the drop. It is a moment, a strange moment we live in. That's why you get the New Testament with this complexity of your kingdom come and yet the kingdom has come and we pray for the kingdom to come and yet we see it established in the pockets of people coming to Christ but it will come one day and it has come. That complexity is part of the New Testament picture because God in His grace has provided a moment where that great day has been split into. It's possible now to find amnesty and pardon before the finish of that day comes The great movement of the Bible is towards that final end, towards the kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, the glory of God that he will gain for all of that. But he has given pause for his rule to spread in anticipation, for his grace to abound to more and more people so that thanksgiving might overflow to the glory of God, for he doesn't desire the death of anyone. He is holding it up for the conversion of men and women. You know, 2 Peter 3, and actually I will get you to look at this one. Have a look with me at 2 Peter 3. Flip over there. It's a passage that speaks about that great day, the day of the Lord that is still to come, the finish, the final part of what's been established in the cross. And there are those that complain about where is this day that's coming? Where is verse 4? This coming he promised. Ever since our ancestors dies, everything goes on as it has in the beginning. But look at his answer, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Please notice this, look closely at 2 Peter 3, you'll notice there's nothing there about he is not slow in keeping his promise, he is patient, wanting everyone to travel, get ahead in their career. Have a great family with kids. Have opportunity to develop their sporting gifts. He says none of that. He says, the Lord is not slow. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Why is the Lord holding up? Why is the Lord patient and not finishing the task of bringing the opposition and enemies of His to an end? Why is He patient? For one reason and one reason only, to save men and women, to bring grace to more and more people. You see, this second complexity is truly a glorious one. The kingdom has been established in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We do now live in the kingly rule of Christ but there is a day to come when he will come into his kingdom. And we therefore live in this strange time, this pause before the drop, where it is possible for a moment to enter the kingdom by forgiveness. I've got one more big thought for you before I draw some applications which is where the lesson on life really flows from the Lord's Prayer. Come back to Matthew chapter 6, and I want you now to look again, finally, at the Lord's Prayer with me. And I want you to notice this. The Lord's Prayer is made up of six requests. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Six requests. When you understand the kingdom, what it is, how it is about God finally being glorified, when it is about finally His will being done on earth as it is in heaven, when it is about forgiveness coming to men and women that they might be established in the kingdom, when it is about keeping and guarding and protecting them, leading them not in temptation, they might survive through to the coming of His kingdom finally. The Lord's Prayer is all about, except one request. It's all about, except one request, the kingdom. It's all about spiritual concerns, except one request. And here is the life lesson. Other Gospels, the other Gospels... It's The Lord's Prayer is given in the context of teach us to pray. And Jesus does teach us to pray, but His lesson is more deeply about the priority of the Kingdom and its concerns. The six requests, one of them concerns our material needs. Jesus is not unaware of your need for material concerns. He's not unaware of it. But out of the six, it's one of them. The rest of the prayer, the dominant note of the prayer, is this concern for the kingdom. That it finally comes. And so that men and women might gain forgiveness and freedom and pardon before it comes. That is the dominant concern of the whole... You know, um, I heard a saying years ago, you may know this one too, John Bunyan. It was said of John Bunyan that if you scratched him anywhere, he'd bleed Bible. You scratch Jesus anywhere, he bleeds kingdom. His first words when he came into his public ministry were, repent for the kingdom of God is near. His miracles were foretastes of what it will be when the king finally does rule and rids the world of all its opposition. His casting out of demons... The king is here for a time and with his presence is the crushing of opposition in the moments of his experiences. His teaching, his teaching was summarised that he went about preaching the kingdom, the certain rule of God in an uncontested era. And so the need to take opportunity for the amnesty that we have for this short time and the cross. The cross was all about establishing the kingdom. John 12, it was the great moment when Satan was cast out and the enemies were defeated. The whole of life for Jesus, his being, his concern, his effort was focused on this one thing, the kingdom. And so friends, you pray the Lord's Prayer And you are not just praying a set of separate isolated good things to pray for you are being taught about life you're being taught about existence you're being taught about what truly matters and we need this lesson because we are so easily distracted we are living in a world that is so beguiling It's a world peopled by rebels. We were those. People who don't want God to rule, who want to live outside His kingdom, who therefore make much of this world and realm now. Because they don't want God's rule, they want this life which is all we've got. Our danger is that we get shaped by that whole mood, by the world around us that has its concern here. And we settle our eyes onto the scene instead of the unseen kingdom realities and concerns. We settle in the apartments, the chalets, in the block that's been demolished by the cross and death, resurrection of Christ that is being held up for a moment. We settle in those apartments and redecorate and spend our lives concerned about how to make the most of these few short years when this world is being held up by the grace of God for one reason and one reason only, to save men and women out of this age, into the age where they will be able to stand before the King when He comes, by the merits and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, we settle into our hobbies and our careers as if they go on and on and on, unaware that our world is ready for ruin at any moment. But when you allow yourself to see the Lord's Prayer through the eyes of the whole Bible, when you see the Lord's Prayer through the eyes of Jesus' ministry and life, it does more than teach you about some statements of prayer that you should utter. It takes you into this deeper drama, this deeper movement, this deeper reality, the absolute priority of it, the thing that Drove Jesus to all that he did. Christ established the kingdom of God in his death and resurrection. This world, in its present form, is passing away. And you know it because of the death of Christ. Its foundation has been ripped apart. We live in this age with no foundations, we live in this pause before the drop. Awaiting the final return of God who holds it up only by his patient desire to see people saved. My point is this, you get into the Lord's Prayer in its context and you get this priority, you get this urgency for the kingdom, that the kingdom might come, that salvation then might be part of your deepest concerns and your priorities because it was the Lord Jesus' deepest concern and priority. This is a a prayer that's much more than about prayer. But it is about prayer too. So let me just finish with a few comments about our prayer lives. Does the prayer for the kingdom dominate your life? Are you more concerned in your prayers for your health? Or your kids' success, their education, their well-being, their, your job, uh, your sports... What are the things that fill your prayer concerns? Do you know the cure in all this? It isn't just praying the Lord's Prayer as a mantra, although, pray the Lord's Prayer. But do you know the cure? The cure is actually to let it show you into the life of Jesus so that you might see the world through His eyes and see how focused He was on the coming Kingdom, aware that we live in a pause before the drop, held up for one reason only. Because, friends, the more you see the world through His eyes, through the eyes of the Lord's Prayer, that'll change your prayers. Your prayers will end up being dominated by the desire to see the grace of God extend to more and more people, They'll be dominated by a concern for that great and glorious day, that terrifying day, such that it motivates you to be concerned for your friends and family and neighbours and workmates, that they are able to stand on that day. Your prayer will be about yourself, that you might be safe until that day, that you might be led into temptation out of that kingdom. You'll be praying for missionary efforts, that they might flourish and find response. You'll be praying for churches, churches that you might be in, we trust you're in, that they might make whatever changes are necessary to the way they're doing what they're doing, that the gospel might go out to more and more people. Your prayers will be prayers that are less and less gripped by materialism. Your present needs, although we trust God for all of them, and he delights in whatever prayer you bring of your needs, yes. But like the Lord Jesus, you'll become more and more truly gripped by the kingdom and its concerns. Because our world has forever been changed by the cross of Christ, by his death and resurrection. We live in the pause before the drop. Do not waste your lives decorating. How about I pray? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have determined to establish your good rule that it might never be contested again and so rid the world of all the enemies of sin, Satan, death. We thank you for that great future that awaits, where you will be glorified, where your glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that your will will be done on earth as in heaven. We pray, please, that you might help us so see these realities as the dominant realities, that our prayers will be shaped as the Lord's Prayer shapes them for us, to be filled with the great concerns of eternal matters. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. This talk was recorded at Word Alive 2015. Word Alive is here to serve the Church in reaching the world. Our desire is to resource individuals and churches and empower them in their mission to local communities in the wider world. For further information and to hear more talks from this and previous events, please visit our website at wordaliveevent.org.